Welcome to Marvel Us Disney. Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more interesting divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, are recording this episode on Tuesday, July 2nd, 2019, which I don't need to tell you folks is the day that Spider-Man Far From Home has just opened in theaters. In fact, Aaron, you are literally just in the door from having seen this movie, right? It's only been minutes since it's passed through my eyeballs and filtered through me brain, so I'm very excited to talk about it as soon as humanly possible. Okay, well, we're going to do that on the second half of the show, folks, and I'm telling you right up front, there's going to be some spoilers, so be ready for that. But in the the news section here, no spoilers. So you safe, sit, listen. But though, I, I don't know how safe you are, again, especially if you're like me and really don't like zombies, which is why today I was actually happy when I learned that the Walking Dead comic book series is coming to a close with issue number 93. Are you familiar with the, the Robert Kirkman books, the thing that the MC series is, is based on, Aaron? Yeah, I, I know that it's been running for quite a while. It's been very, very popular. The only question I have is, as they come to a close, did they run out of humans or did they run out of zombies or did they run out of ink? Um, <laughs> again, we promise not to spoil things. The interesting oh, thing right, is right. that... This does come to a close, and you know, you folks are going to have to buy the the issue that I want to say is is not just double size, it's triple size, it, uh, hitting store shelves tomorrow. And I have to say again, I don't like zombies. Never enjoyed the Joe Romero films, though. I, oh, look, I take that back. I I sort of enjoyed the 2004 remake of Dawn of the Dead. I think that was largely because James Gunn, the guy who wrote and directed the Guardians movies, wrote the screenplay for that. And, oh, speaking of screenplays, Aaron, if you ever want to read something that will keep you up at night, it's J. Michael Straczynski's screenplay for World War Z. He was the first guy to adapt the Max Brooks. And by the way, Max Brooks is Mel Brooks's son? Right. So, the But the best-selling book that Max did about it was sort of a zombie apocalypse, and there are scenes in that screenplay that to this day haunt me. I mean, massive set pieces with hordes of the undead and little character-driven moments that serve up these giant slabs of unforgettable horror. To be honest, I'm actually grateful that Brad Pitt read it and went, mm, no, and they did a different version of the script. And I don't know if I could have taken it if they actually put some of the stuff that J. Michael wrote up on the big screen. So as a guy who... who doesn't like zombies. Again, I was happy. I was happy for a whole hour, Aaron, that the Walking Dead comic book series was coming to a close. And then Marvel reveals that this October they're bringing back Marvel zombies. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Can, oh, uh, I can't talk about it yet. Darn it. Okay. We'll, Second we'll, half of the show. Okay. Okay. You heard. Now, you you obviously are familiar with the, the Marvel zombie series from 2005, 2006. Sure. I don't see how anybody who ever read any of the books in that limited series can ever forget those comic books. I mean, the fact that Peter Parker was the only Marvel character that went through, you know, the zombification who remembered what he did and he was still filled with the hunger, but the, the regret that he killed and eaten MJ and he killed and eaten Aunt May. It's like, you can't not remember that well the worst part is he kept thinking boy this tastes like aunt may's chicken noodle soup 
Oh. <laughs> you are what you eat. <laughs> oh. Okay. Well, well again, folks, uh, that comes back this October just in time for Halloween. In fact, Marvel broke the news by tweeting out an image of the cover of the first issue of the revived Marvel Zombies, which featured zombified Wolverine, Deadpool, and Captain America. Come on, you can't zombify Captain America. Actually, you can, and we're going to put a pin in this very soon, and we're going to revisit it on the second half of the show because I got something I never thought I would see on a big screen. Mm. But I, I, I can't talk about Marvel Zombies on a big screen for about another, oh, 20 minutes, so let's get going. Okay. Well. <laughs> All right, to totally changing the subject here. Uh, we have an update on Avengers Endgame. This past weekend, Marvel put back out into theaters with an extra show scene, and you could get a limited edition poster, and this was all being done with the idea that they were going to close the gap, they were finally going to be able to pass Avatar, not just domestically, but worldwide, and not only worldwide, but the all-time worldwide box office total, and... This crashed and burned. Swing and a miss. Oh, God, yeah. This entire effort only got them an additional $7.8 million, which means at this point, this Marvel Cinematic Universe film has earned $2.76 billion worldwide. And the problem is that James Cameron's Avatar, its all-time worldwide box office total, is $2.78. $8 billion. So literally $20 million separates these two films. If you're talking with folks at Disney, what they believe happened, what they believe tripped them up is virtually in the same day they announced this re-release was the same day that the news broke that when Avengers Endgame was going to be available digitally and then when it was going to be available on store shelves two weeks later. And that's the tail end of July, early August. Yeah, July 30th is the digital download. I've already got it pre-ordered, so I'm all set. But yeah, that's the day that's on my calendar, so a few weeks away. It certainly didn't help that folks who came back from seeing the re-release, the scene with Professor Hulk, they hadn't finished it. The dialogue didn't sync up. It was, right. you know, if you're going to pay that much money to go back into the theater and spend three hours seeing a movie... You need to deliver the goods. Every once in a while, I feel the need to point over at Lord of the Rings as the example that set the trend of what an extended version is. And I've lamented in the past about how I'm kind of surprised we've never had a director's cut of any of the Marvel movies. Mm -hmm. But boy, wouldn't it be great if we got something where Marvel just said, you know, we've got all this extra footage. Let's just finish it. Let's put the effects in. Let's do all of the sound work and the dialogue. And if we have to shoot a pickup or two to finish a thing off to extend a scene, that's fine. But, you know, there's a, a big difference between adding an unfinished scene after the credits roll versus adding another hour of completely finished theater ready viewing material. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing where I just wish that. Instead of just doing a cash grab and holding out your hand going, please give me more, mm -hmm. uh, give me a reason to give you more. And not just by an unfinished scene. If you wanted to do something special, then do something special and finish that off. You had a couple months while we were waiting to you know, pull something together. So I just think that they didn't want to, A, change the movie dramatically mm -hmm. by putting something in the movie. They had to wait till end credits to plop something in. 
But didn't they add like a Spider-Man teaser as well to the end? Yeah, but given that there was a Spider-Man trailer in the front of the movie, you know. Right, like, yeah, I mean, that that doesn't do anything for you as a fan, so yeah. it's kind of a, a small misstep by, one of the rare missteps by Disney, where they just think they can shovel it out there and we're going to slop it up again. It's just not the case. We gave you our money the first time. Mm. Make it worth it for the second time. That's great advice, Aaron, and hopefully they'll follow it going forward. Okay, moving on here. I know we talked on the last show uh, about San Diego Comic-Con and Marvel Entertainment. As folks do leading up in the weeks up to the event in San Diego, has released its entertainment schedule. So those of you heading down on Thursday, July 18th, uh, you want to be in line for Hall H for the 3.30 to 4.30 presentation. This is the first time ever that Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. will be presenting in Hall H. What's kind of interesting is when this panel runs will be right after the season finale for season six will have aired but what they're going to do is look back on and have the cast on stage and have them looking back at what happened over season six and possibly actually show some footage from season seven because remember season seven and season six were shot back to back on Friday, June 19th, on the other hand, if you can make your way to room 6A, Marvel Animation will be celebrating Marvel's 80th anniversary. And I guess that one went, got by me. I've been all caught up in the 10th anniversary of Marvel Studios and didn't notice about the Marvel's 80th anniversary. But they're expecting in this panel some great behind-the-scenes stories when it comes to talking about some of your favorite Marvel animated series. And then on Saturday, July 20th, uh, from 10 a.m. to 10.30, you're going to have the opportunity to celebrate 10 years of Women in Marvel panels, not to mention 200 podcast episodes those, those ladies have churned out over the, the past decade. And I don't even think even Len and I have done that many shows so far. Yeah, I think you're up to about 225 now. Oh, okay. Well, you, had, you had your 200th almost a year ago. You Man, you've been at this a long time. you got to lift the nose from the grindstone, look around a little bit, smell the fresh air. <laughs> Take a day off, Jim. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. At this point, my butt is shaped exactly like this chair. So, uh, Anyway, uh, speaking of Comic-Con, also another reason to, you know, if you, to hang around Hall H, the Russo Brothers have a presentation which is going to be held on friday july 19th now it's early it's 10 a.m supposedly joe and anthony will be there talking up their own studio agbo studios which is their indie operation but the interesting thing is to help get this presentation some heat there's been some pretty active talk about the fact that joe and anthony russo are going to be joined on stage by a number of members of Avengers Endgame. Hmm. No names yet. And I had to include this story because just last week on Wednesday, they had the big Hollywood premiere of Spider-Man Far From Home. So Tom Holland's and Dea and Jake Gyllenhaal did the due diligence. They walked the red carpet. They talked with reporters in front of the TLC Chinese Theater they then went on Jimmy Kimmel and talked up the film. And so, in theory, they were off the hook at that point. Four days later, these three go to the Children's Hospital in Los Angeles. And what was kind of cool is that Disney and Marvel Studios had arranged for the patients there, along with their parents, to be the first civilians to see Spider-Man Far From Home. 
So they're showing it to them, and when the film ends, the theater door opens, and who comes walking in? But Zendaya, and not only that, Tom Holland and Jake Gyllenhaal are in their Spider-Man and Mysterio outfits. And they proceed to blow all these kids' minds. They sign posters, they do selfies, and then they spend the next hour and a half walking around the wards to all the kids who couldn't make it down to the auditorium. That to me says a lot about these three well there's a a difference between doing your promotional duties where you go out on a red carpet and there's hundreds of people and flash photography in your face everywhere and everyone's screaming and you sign a couple autographs but the difference is when you go to a children's hospital and you spend two minutes one-on-one with these kids you give them an experience that nobody else in the world can kind of relate to it's just so mind-blowing that these sick kids that are dealing with their own crisis has the actual literal superhero that they've been watching on screen come into their room in their superhero outfit and spend time just with them that's a life-changing moment and when you're dealing with such a hard thing like cancer and you know a terminal illness like that just to have a moment to smile is very challenging sometimes, you know? Oh, I agree. You're worried about a test that's coming up and the results of of what that means for your life. And yeah, just to have a moment where that gets kind of eclipsed. Mm -hmm. All of your worries fall behind the shadow of this huge, larger than life, even though Tom Holland is only, what, probably five foot six. But you know, it's, yeah, but you get that presence in front of you and and how can you not just forget about all of your worries and and just be absorbed in that moment? It was really, really touching. I I watched the video and there was a little kid that told Spidey how he loves it when he thwips his webs and then Tom Holland replied without missing a beat, oh yeah, I love that too. I I ran out of webbing swinging my way over here. So he had an excuse to why he couldn't spin a web right there. That's but, great. man, that got me right in the feels. It did. I, I got a little little something in my throat there I had to clear well, out there. And, and I, I love the guys who do this. I mean, I, I look, yeah. disregarding what's going on with Johnny Depp and his personal life and his career issues at this point, but the fact that he did pretty much the same thing with Jack yeah. Sparrow. That In fact, it was evidently part of his contract with Disney that he, A, he got to keep one of the costumes, and B, when he gave Disney an, a, you know, enough of a heads up that they'd send a makeup guy to meet with him so he could be full-on Jack Sparrow when he wandered these hospital wards. I have to tell you, though, I don't know if growing up you were familiar with Jim Barney's character, Ernest P. Worrell. Oh, yeah. Hey, Vern. Vern, yeah, yeah, that, that's it exactly. He honestly was, uh, I think, the gold standard for doing these sorts of things. He'd actually drive to the hospital. He'd change into the Ernest outfit at the hospital, and then he'd go down to the maintenance department, and he'd ask for a stepladder and a light bulb. And then what he'd do is he would just walk into a kid's room, put up the stepladder, and start to change the light bulb, and let the kid realize who was in the room with him right he wouldn't actually introduce himself he would just be earnest and then when the kid realized oh my god it's a real earnest p world right here in my room then depending on how what the kid was able to do they'd have an interaction and then it's earnest well i gotta go down the hall here and do some work you know or change a bunch of light bulbs but again love people who do this sort of stuff that's the smart thing about disney and marvel is besides just lifting the spirits of sick children 
you're also gaining a fan for life. Oh, God, yeah. That's one of those moments where it's like if Luke Skywalker walked up to me when I was four years old, I would be a fan of Luke for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. I've always been a bit of a hand guy myself, but, you know, things change when you meet them in person. But, yeah, I mean, when when you actually have Spider-Man in your room, Mm -hmm. how can you not go, oh, I've got to see everything that Spider-Man does from here on out because he's my boy. He's my homie. We hung out. We're tight. There we go. Right. So, you know, what's almost as fun as this sort of stuff, you know, going in and entertaining children is Mm -hmm. finding out that an actor who's been in a Marvel movie is also a Marvel fan. Have you heard these stories about Josh Brolin? Josh was just at the Ace Comic Con in Seattle and got a question about, you know, if you remember the end of Deadpool 2, it it sort of set up the idea that Cable was now going to fight alongside uh, Ryan Reynolds' Deadpool and Zazie Beetz' Domino in some yet-to-be-named Deadpool-related film. And up to date, no one at Marvel Studios has contacted Josh about Deadpool 3 which is why Brolin has taken it upon himself to regularly call executives at Disney and Fox to find out what the status of the project is. And I swear to God, this is the quote from Screen Rant. I've been calling them like, what's the deal with Cable, man? I mean, seriously, 100% serious. I don't know what's going to happen now that Disney and Fox, Marvel's big world just got much, much bigger, but they'll figure it out. I think the guy just wants to have a sandwich. He's he's in ripped shape, and he's just like, when can I have my pudding? Because yeah. I can't keep this figure forever. This is true. <laughs> this is true. So, again, I, I want to follow up on a story that we did last show. We talked about Kristen Ritter, who was out doing publicity for the launch of third and final season of Jessica Jones on Netflix. And the question was, if it's possible, further on down the line, would you do Jessica again? Would you appear as this Marvel character again? Kristen's response was, I don't think so. I, I feel like I played her, you know, and I, I feel really good about it. I feel good about closing the door. And I guess she didn't realize how the internet or, or how Marvel Works. fandom... <laughs> was going to react to that. So when that story began to get traction around the internet, Ritter obviously had a change of heart because just a day or so after the interview was published, she takes to Twitter to say, I would play JJ again in a heartbeat. That's in capital letters, by the way. She's the coolest character ever, and I love her. Hey, you never know what the future holds. As for now, I'm so proud of the long run and the deep character work I got to do. It's been a dream and never say never. So... That seems hopeful, don't you think, Aaron? Well, it's not her call, so I wouldn't necessarily put it in the hopeful category just yet. I kind of wish over the three seasons they would have addressed her alcoholism just a little bit, Mm -hmm. because she drank like a fish and she should have been sloppy drunk throughout half of those episodes. Mm -hmm. But apparently she's a very functioning alcoholic. But beyond that one little nitpick, I mean, I enjoyed it. Yes, I would be happy to have more Jessica Jones. What does Kevin Feige say about all this? There we go. So Mr. Wet Blanket steps in, and yes, Mr. Feige actually got asked about this recently by an entertainment reporter at BET, and Kevin was not exactly encouraging. What he said was, look, there's a lot of great characters in those Netflix series, but it'll be a while before we can use any of them 
based on what the contracts were. Well, we've known that. That's not a no. That's just stating the fact that we've been aware of. Yeah, so I know. I, I wouldn't call it, him a wet blanket. I would just call him a safety blanket. He's not pushing anything forward. He's not taking anything away. He's just saying, we'll see. Okay, okay. But on, on the up note, while we're waiting for more Jessica Jones, we will have things to distract us, like the news that broke this week. Evidently, Brie Larson is under contract to do five more appearances in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as Captain Marvel. Okay, I think we're both dying to get our hands on a, you know, a contract like the one that Brie has to find out what's the actual language here. How, you know, for example, is it broken down into, of these five appearances, three are glorified cameos in other films and... You right. know, two are, you know, your character has to be the central character of a feature, or it's sort of the same thing when it comes to Mr. Holland. I'd love to see what his deal is for Spider-Man, because face it, he was he was introduced literally in a, a wonderful sort of extended cameo in Civil War, and then got his standalone film, and, you know, then we got... Infinity War and Endgame, so you're up to four movies there, and yeah. he's only had two by himself now, just this week is his second solo movie, so, yeah, I mean, he's he's working. He's What's working. that contract look like? I mean, uh, you ever hear of the insurance stuff? Like, they're like, oh, I can't go skydiving because oh, God, what if something happens, and then there's a lawsuit if I get injured because I, I broke my contract. Mm -hmm. It's like, man, if you're signing up for seven appearances, maybe 10 years what kind of stuff can't you do anymore? What's no longer on your hobby list? You know, I like to, like Tom Cruise likes to go flying in his jets. What mm. can't be done by Tom Holland or Brie Larson now that they're signing the next tenth of their life away? That is a very interesting question. And, and speaking of questions, I have lots of questions for Mr. Adams when we get from our, back from our commercial break about the movie he just saw, which is Spider-Man Far From Home. Now, I want to caution you folks, there are going to be spoilers when we start talking about Far From Home. But before we get to that, given the, all of the praise you heaped on Good Omens, the limited series on Amazon Prime, is, is that right? Yeah, well, I mean, first off, it's my absolute insane love for everything Neil Gaiman. And that opens up a whole Pandora's box of wonderful stuff. First, we'll talk about the recap of Good Omens. So far, most everybody is is loving it, and they're <laughs> shouting to Neil on Twitter saying, hey, this is great. There's one small select group of people mm -hmm. who are not fans of poking fun at the Almighty, and I guess I can understand that. Mm -hmm. But they've put together a little petition saying that uh, Netflix should cancel Good Omens. And Neil's response on Twitter is, Promise you won't tell them. <laughs> yeah, we won't tell them that it's on Amazon Prime. I, I loved that. It was it was such a wonderful moment. Uh, and speaking of other wonderful moments, did you see the image that Michael Sheen tweeted out of the very last day filming? On mm. and, and more to the point, I think it was just before he shot his last scene. Azerafel is that how they pronounce yep. the name? Aziraphale, yep. Yeah, and what he basically said is that I wanted to get a shot of how my hair looked and my makeup looked 
before I get all teary, because I'm going to miss this character, I'm going to miss the show, that he, he genuinely enjoyed working on this thing. And I don't see how you couldn't have a ball working on that. As a matter of fact, I did buy, uh, I've had the novel for years, mm -hmm. decades probably now, but I also bought the script version oh, that goes along that... with the movie. And man, there is some funny stuff Neil Gaiman writes in there. Like there's a guy in in the show mm -hmm. and he does this, Neil writes this bit in the script about, I'm sure he's a great actor, but we gave him no lines. And he's probably thinking to himself, why the hell did I get no lines? I'm a pretty decent actor. <laughs> and like there's this whole inner monologue about this guy who has no lines. He's just got a shot in the show and Neil feels bad that he's a good actor that didn't get any lines, but that's what it calls for. So we move on. And there's all these little asides that mm. are not in the show that are so dang funny. And they're just thoughts about how we're going to make this happen with the budget that we have. And is it too grand? And what do we have to cut? And a good costume designer might be able to talk me out of black wings and white wings and we'll just do trench coats or whatever, but they better be a really convincing argument for it. And it's a lot of fun to read. So if, if you uh, read the novel, you can read this and get something completely different. You get all the behind-the-scenes gobbledygook from the, the shooting of the, the TV show. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, if you like the TV show, the script is the exact same, except there's some parts that got cut out that didn't make it. And, and those are some elements that were not in the novel. So, yeah, there's a lot of really good stuff to go through that a second time if you're a big fan of Good Omens. I'll definitely have to chase that down. But yeah. for Neil Gaiman fans, this is kind of a golden age because right on the heels of of good omens there's been a great bit of news first off we also had american gods which has been over i want to say on amc for its, its second season now it's going for its third season mm -hmm. and so yeah it's it's great that neil is finally getting more of his work put into the mainstream but the one that got me so excited Actually, it got me more excited than seeing Spider-Man Far From Home today was reading that Netflix signed a deal for the rights to Sandman. And I could not be more thrilled because next to Spidey, mm -hmm. Sandman is my all-time favorite book ever written, comic or otherwise. It's just so extraordinary that I've been waiting for it forever. Now, the good news is, well, here's the thing. In the 90s, they tried working on a movie for Sandman, and it just didn't come together. In the last, I want to say, four years, Joseph Gordon-Levitt took on a producer role and was even going to star as Morpheus, the Sandman, and that fell apart. And the most recent was uh, another writer who was working on a version of Sandman for film. And what he said was, he turned in his draft and he said, here's what I came up with. It's not going to work because this isn't a movie thing. This is a TV show thing. It's too complex. It's too long to cram into one movie and if you want to go Lord of the Rings with it and do three three-hour movies it's still not enough just do it as a TV show and then several like six months to a year after that Netflix just in the last couple of days has now signed to acquire the rights to Sandman whether it actually gets made or not is mm -hmm. a completely different ball of wax mm -hmm. but I am thrilled that there's the potential there I'm happy that they've got it off the movie track and onto the TV show track because there's moments in the Sandman storyline where they do like uh, Aladdin mm -hmm. and it's got its own little twist on it. And then there's uh, there was a, a convention. It was called the Serial Convention that takes place in a hotel lobby, but it's not 
cereal, like as in Captain Crunch, mm-hmm. it's for serial killers. Ah. It's a serial killer convention. And that's a self-contained story. It was all just one little book, mm-hmm. but it was a crazy, crazy read. And so even though there is a very long thread that goes through the entire Sandman stories, there are some standalone episodes by themselves. And I think that was the challenge that everyone had was there's a lot of great stories that people, the readers of Sandman loved from the olden day comic book. And you can't just pick and choose. You kind of have to commit to do the story and some of those standalone episodes that everyone loves. And Sandman doesn't even show up in some of those till like the last couple of panels he, he shows up to show, you know, how he's been manipulating people through dream or the conclusion of the story wraps up, however. But yeah, so there, there are those moments where they don't have dream in the story. But yeah, I, I want it all. I want the full smorgasbord. I wouldn't mind at all if David Tennant went straight from playing Crowley and Good Omens, stepped into the big black goth wig and put on the robes and became Morpheus and, and transitioned to that. And I'll tell you what, having Kristen Ritter play Death would not be a bad thing either because Death is... All of the, the people in the Sandman have a D name, so there's Delirium, Death, and Dream, and they're all siblings of one another. And Dream is kind of like your goth girl kind of look and she visits earth once every hundred years to find out new ways for people to die like when the horseless carriage was invented she's like oh i gotta go check that out because apparently some people are gonna get run over by this thing i gotta figure out how it all works so i can claim my people so yeah i mean there's just a wealth of material is uh, that they could be doing with this and i am just beyond elated that sandman could possibly be on the horizon for netflix i just couldn't be happier about that Okay, and remember, folks, for those of you who will eventually see the Sandman series and be upset by what you see, remember to send your complaints in to Amazon Prime. <laughs> so. Brilliant! Okay. Anyway, uh, changing the subject here and again, warning all of you that we are about to get into talking spoiler-wise about Spider-Man Far From Home and... Okay, Aaron, are we ready to do our jobs? Tentatively, yes. I'm, I'm eager to talk about it, but uh, there's still a bit of hesitation in me. Mm-hmm. The reason for that is, when I reviewed Captain Marvel, I said it wasn't the top of the heap, it wasn't the bottom of the barrel, it was kind of the middle of the road. I would put Spider-Man Far From Home a notch above that. Interesting. And I am the biggest Spidey fan with a life-size Spider-Man in my apartment mm-hmm. from the 2002 movie, so... Yeah, that's, that's kind of hard for me to say is that it's not the greatest MCU movie ever, but that doesn't make it a bad movie at all. I, I thought about it long and hard on the way home from the theater. There's nothing wrong with the movie at all. Mm-hmm. It's funny. It's got the action. It's got everything you could want. It's just a bit slower paced. Not in the bad way, just mm-hmm. more a little bit more methodical. We don't have all of the spectacle of all of the Avengers battling uh, the mad Titan Thanos. So you have to scale back. You have to bring your expectations back a bit. And you have to go into the theater thinking, this is not Endgame. This is not Infinity War. This is one hero. Mm-hmm. In that sense, perfectly fine Spider-Man entry in, into the saga. If we're talking about Far From Home, how, do, how would you say it stacks up against Homecoming? That's a tough one. They are neck and neck. Mm -hmm. I really, really liked Homecoming, I think, a bit more because it was my first full Tom Holland Spider-Man film. Mm -hmm. You know, we got to be introduced to him in the Civil War. So when I I was ready for a new just Spider-Man solo adventure. And when I got that, I was thrilled with it because it was 
fresh and new and not what I was expecting. Now that I'm familiar with Tom and I don't want to say the formula that we're working with here, but there are certain things that I think are great that they shouldn't be changed. It's these are my problems. Mm -hmm. I wanted Mysterio to be the Mysterio from my comics Mm -hmm. and I got him. I did, Mm -hmm. but it took half the movie to get there. And that's my problem is I think if you're even a casual comic book fan, Mm that when you find out Mysterio's playing a good guy, you can call BS on that just from the ads and go, he's the he's the villain. Come on. We know that. Why are you trying to pull the rug over our eyes there, Marvel? Mm-hmm. And so when I finally get to that point where the turn happens, that's what I've been waiting for for the first hour of the movie. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean the first hour was bad. It just means I've been waiting, waiting, waiting. And there's jokes and there's action. There's fun stuff that all happens. But I wasn't there for that. I was there for when Mysterio becomes the real Mysterio that I know, mm-hmm. not the fake good guy. Got it. And so that's that's my challenge right there. Is if it, and again, thinking about this coming back from the theater, I really don't see any other way they could have done it. Mm-hmm. You can't just bring Mysterio on the stage and say, "Bad guy, go." Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's not there to rob a bank. He's got a he's got a plan, and it's specific to the MCU. And we're not going to get into that specific spoiler right now, but, you know, he's got his own thing going on. And so, yeah, when you get to that reveal, that's when I feel the real Mysterio happens. Now, the cool thing is Mysterio has two costumes. Mm-hmm. One is the one that you see in the trailers, the, the full bull head. The second costume, and if you're familiar with the comic books at all, Quentin Beck is a special effects artist from the movies. So when you see him in his second costume, do you remember in the early days of Gollum, they had the ping pong ball suit? This is not that. Okay. It's the one with the triangles printed all over it for motion tracking. It's the modern day motion tracking suit. That got me super excited because it was, you know, not his traditional look, but it was still very much a tip Mm -hmm. to his past in the comics of movie magic. And I got to tell you, there's a moment in Far From Home where Mysterio does Mysterio the right way. Mm -hmm. And it was two minutes of, man, this is so hard to explain. Let me back up a very brief second. There's a video game, Batman Arkham Asylum. He he battles the Scarecrow. Scarecrow doses Batman with some hallucinogenic. And then you have to play a a video game level where Batman's tripping. Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, And everything is just wrong and crazy and super wild. There's a moment like that in Spider-Man Far From Home. If they would have given me an hour of that, I would say best movie in the world Mm -hmm. because it was so incredibly awesome. That was what I waited for, but it was only like a two-minute segment of the film. And I just want, want more of that. That was so good. So good. Speaking of which, you mentioned at the top of the show when we were talking about Walking Dead and, and ah. Marvel Zombies, is, is this the scene where that happens? Actually, yes, it is. It ah. is indeed. Um, so, yeah, so we'll just say that Spider-Man's tripping. There's, it's not what's going on, but he cannot believe his eyes is ah. the, the long and short of what's going on. And as Mysterio is messing with Spider-Man, he brings a a healthy dose of guilt to him. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, the tombstone of Tony Stark is in front of Peter. 
and all of a sudden a hand bursts out of the ground clad in the Iron Man armor and starts dragging itself towards Peter and the full Iron Man costume pops up out of the grave and part of the mask is missing and you get to see the skull and it was so like I wanted to scream Marvel zombies in the theater because it was like 10 seconds just 10 seconds of oh what we could have if we ever went down that road i highly doubt we will Mm -hmm. i think again that's marvel kind of giving a nod to one of their storylines that they it's a little bit too far-fetched to fully do a movie about it but man can they dip their toe in that pool and check the warmth (laughs) and it was very warm very comfortable i was very very happy with just a glimpse of marvel zombies yeah i didn't expect it crazy cool did you like the way that, that Spider-Man Far From Home sort of links directly up with the events that we saw in Avengers Endgame? Or? There was a bit of necessity, mm-hmm. and that was how they handle the blip. And they do it very, very quickly. They do it in the first five minutes. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is they show a little shot of a marching band on the basketball court, mm-hmm. and then people just start disappearing. And then they say, and five years later, they just suddenly come back, and then they go back to that same basketball court. Now they're in the middle of a basketball game, and half of the marching band just reappears on the court, mm-hmm. and people are colliding with each other, and like, what the hell's going on? And they do an explanation of, yeah, so I was gone for five years, and my younger brother is now older than me. What's up with that? They say that if you went away for five years and now you come back, you're the same age. And they lament how even though they finished their midterms, they still have to take the whole year all over again. It's totally unfair. So, yeah, I mean, it was very, very cute how the students complained and lamented about what the blip meant for their high school careers. Mm -hmm. But uh, it it was just about three minutes where they Marvel said, we need to have an explanation for this so we can just get it out of the way. Okay, cool. And be done with it. So they they handled it well. All right, that sounds like some smart storytelling. On Mm -hmm. on the other hand, anyone who's seen any of the trailers or any of the commercials for this thing knows that the storyline that's kind of set up, you know, to the the, the notion that Peter is being positioned as Iron Man's replacement, you know, sort of the protector of New York City, and just isn't ready for that responsibility, which sort of sets up the here's this class trip i can at least get away for a summer kind of a thing and did that work thematically for you did that that help sort of set the stage for what happens after that or no i think that spidey could have just taken a suit and been a hero the whole way without having to say i just want to have a class trip i mean it wouldn't have changed the outcome of the movie one way or the other the the events still could have unfolded the exact same way but to remain true to the character peter never wanted to be a hero Mm-hmm. If you go back to the very crux of why he did what he did, it was because he could have stopped a crime, mm-hmm. and because he didn't, his, he lost his Uncle Ben. Yeah. And so he's always had this thing of, I don't want to do this, but I feel that I have to because I have the ability to do something. You know the old saying, with great power comes great responsibility. Mm-hmm. Peter's got the power, so he he's always struggled with, am I using it responsibly? Am I doing the right thing? Am I allowed to have my own life or do I only get to be Mm Spider-Man? And so that's always been a a version of the character that's been true and consistent all throughout the years of the battle of what's it to be to to be a hero and am I doing it right? And should I even be doing it at all? Yeah, thematically, it fits fine. It's not necessary to this particular story, but it's true to the character the way it's been in the past. So yeah, totally fine with that. Okay. Now, again, as we were starting this part of the show, you were talking about 
Mysterio and how that they eventually got to the, the version that you knew from the comic books. And there's a number of changes from Spider-Man canon they do in this film. Take, for example, the fact that MJ, all on her own, susses out that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. And she's actually, there's a wonderful throwaway line from Zendaya. It's like, well, it's kind of obvious. And likewise, Aunt May having a, a fling with Happy Hogan. <laughs> you okay with these changes? Or, you know, did they... Yeah, did... totally. Well, first off, MJ is Michelle, not Mary Jane Watson. Mm-hmm. But I, I totally 100% support Zendaya mm-hmm. as MJ. I think she's too cool for the rest of the class. Mm-hmm. She's too smart for everybody else but Peter. And she plays it well. I really, really love her character as MJ. So no problems if she figured it out. And I mean, it was perfectly obvious. And she did this whole, you know, like Washington, you just disappeared. All of a sudden, Spider-Man shows up. Now we're in Europe. You disappear. Spider-Man shows up. I mean, come on. You know, it's like, yeah, I mean, if you can't put that together, you shouldn't even be interested in her because she's not very bright. But apparently she is bright. She notices. So she's a good catch. Go with it, Peter. Mm -hmm. As far as Happy and May, Happy's always been... One of those good supporting characters. He's always got a line. He's always got a moment. He's just fun. Mm-hmm. And I like that he's been carried over from the Iron Man universe into the Spider-Man universe. Yeah, May needs a, a partner, so why not Happy? Happy's a good guy. They get along well. They they fit together. They have that flirt thing going on. It, it all works. I'm okay with all the changes that they're making with, with that stuff totally, yeah. We're entering the, the speed round here. Okay, so all right. did we have a favorite action scene out of the film? Absolutely, and that is when uh, Mysterio, I want to I figure out how to say it, when reality is no longer the thing. <laughs> okay. okay. I mean, you know, you're, you're in, obviously, they're doing a thing in Venice. Mm-hmm. They go to Prague. They go to uh, the UK. So you're in real world places. Mm-hmm. When you're in the theater and the real world no longer applies, that is in, that is my happiest moment through the Spider-Man movie, but it's about two and a half, three minutes, mm-hmm. and I wish they would have extended it to a, a lot longer. I could have lived in that world for about half an hour. It was just too crazy. Basically, all of my comic book dreams for Mysterio, all there in that moment. I just wanted so much more of it, but that's me being a greedy pig. Okay. Did you have a favorite character bit in the film? This one actually is going to go in a way that you did not expect, Jim. Okay. Ned. And it's not even in the movie. This Mm -hmm. is what caught me last night at about 11 o'clock at night. If you'll remember several months ago, I talked about how Captain Marvel had a commercial for, I don't know if it was BMW or Audi or one of the car manufacturers. Mm -hmm. And it was like a three minute section of a movie more than it was a commercial because they were they didn't bring in the car till like the last 10 seconds. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Right. So they've got one of those for Spider-Man mm-hmm. where it's Peter and Ned mm-hmm. going to a science fair and they're looking at all the science projects and how they're better than the one that they came up with. Mm-hmm. And so Peter thinks, well, let me go back to Stark Labs and get some tech from the Stark Labs and I'll bring it back and say it's our science fair project and that will cover us. Here's the thing that caught me off guard, everyone. Mm-hmm. While Ned is waiting for Peter to get back, the teacher comes up and says, Mr. Leeds, what's in your hands? Now, that means nothing to nobody except fans. Mm-hmm. But I had to immediately stop playing that video. I went to go look online at IMDb and in Spider-Man Homecoming, mm-hmm. he's just known as Ned. Mm-hmm. 
in Spider-Man Far From Home, they list him as Ned Leeds. Now, why does that matter? Two things. One, Ned gets married to Betty Brant in the comic books, who is the cute little blonde girl that plays the reporter in, mm -hmm. in the movies. And she didn't get very much screen time in the first movie. She gets a wealth of screen time in, in this movie, and it's welcomed. She does a fantabulous job mm. of being in this moment. Second thing about Ned Leeds specifically, he's the Hobgoblin, yo. Oh, no. Yeah. And that was where I started to panic. Because as I watched this movie, they never refer to Ned other than Ned in the movie. They, know, they don't use Leeds, his last name, in the movie. They only used it in this commercial. Mm -hmm. But they do list his name in the credits as Ned Leeds. And... He ends up finding out stuff about the Green Goblin and steals all of his stuff and becomes the Hobgoblin. And it's later revealed that Ned has been the Hobgoblin this entire time. And I just keep thinking, I love this kid too much to see him go bad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. His relationship with Peter is too tight, too strong, too perfect to be broken by making him a villain. Mm -hmm. So I honestly was looking for clues in this movie about what's going to happen to Ned. And I'm very, very happy to say I don't see him becoming the Hobgoblin anytime soon, if ever. Mm -hmm. But this is the very first time that I've actually been awakened to the fact that it's actually Ned Leeds that's, that is the character's name, not just Ned. And that started to trouble me severely because I was having trauma, Jim, of like, what, what's going to happen to my little buddy? Holy oh, cow. he's such a good actor, and, and he plays that relationship as Pete's best buddy so, so well. Mm -hmm. Now, if you think about how they treat Harry Osborn from the old Spider-Man movies, mm -hmm. he was Pete's best friend. He ends up becoming the Green Goblin, so it's got that parallel of best buddy, best nemesis mm -hmm. thing that Pete's always got. So, yeah, that's the surprising shocker there out of that, but we've got uh, you've got one more question, and, and I think that's the... Uh, when, when you get to favorite character bit, yep. will be when we get to this question number 10. Okay, we're going to hold off on that for a sec, because face it, as part of that, that amazing reveal, we also get kind of an event that spins the whole Spider-Man series on its head in the mid credit scene, where Peter's secret identity, or Spider-Man's secret identity, actually gets revealed and not in a small way, literally to the entire city of New York. And what is your take on that? Where do we go from here with that being where we put the pin in it? To talk about that specific reveal, I think it's fine because they did it in the comics mm -hmm. in Civil War. I was about to say, yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the Registration Act. Yeah, Peter revealed himself in the comics version of Civil War mm -hmm. as being Spider-Man. And in, uh, was it Earth X or Universe X or Paradise X, one of the X's, mm -hmm. where future Peter is an older adult and he's a police officer. So everyone in that world knows that Peter Parker is Spider-Man and once he no longer had a secret identity, mm -hmm. he could actually just become a law enforcement officer and use his abilities without a mask. And that was kind of an interesting thing that they did with that storyline. So I'm just wondering, when you've got a masked superhero played by a star, they always take every darn advantage to take the mask off to go, look, it's Tom Holland. Mm -hmm. eh? We paid a lot of money for this kid. 
remember, it's Tom Holland. And then they put the mask back on him. He swings a few blocks, and then he's got to take the mask off again for some reason. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, the fact that they revealed his identity. Well, first off, Aunt May doesn't, you know, she used to be the old, doting, overly protective. Mm -hmm. But now she's like, oh, here's your suit. Go save the world. Mm -hmm. So we've got a different attitude from May. That's not going to change if peter's secret identity is revealed really the only thing that can happen is now his enemies know his home address mm -hmm. and that has been a problem with peter for a very long time in the comics is they always figure out who he is and then they find the person that's close to him so really what this means is mj is now in danger mm, very true yeah now let's get to my absolute favorite thing from far from home and it's and it's who reveals this info which when oh, i heard I, about it just blew my mind it was one of these yeah. things where i wanted to rush out and shake kevin feige's hand because this is to my way of thinking the greatest thing that's happened in hollywood in years so tell yeah, them tell absolutely. them what they've done one of the greatest things about any of the spider-man movies going all the way back to the very first sam raimi 2002 spider-man is the casting of J.K. Simmons, otherwise known as the Yellow Peanut Eminem. There we go. Yep. <laughs> He's back as J. Jonah Jameson, and I could not be happier. J.K. Simmons is note perfect, always has been mm -hmm. as J. Jonah Jameson. The fact that he's back, you know, some people were like, does this mean that Toby's going to be showing up anytime soon? It's like, no, 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 shut that down. Yep. No Toby McGuire. Nope. Nope. It's just that J.K. Simmons is so danged good at J. Jonah Jameson that you cannot recast him with anybody else in the world. So they acknowledge that he is a true talent. Mm -hmm. They need to incorporate him into the MCU. So yes, in the first mid credit scenes, the very person to, uh, and it's funny because J. Jonah Jameson's always got it out for the webhead, mm -hmm. and it's the events of the movie that you have just watched are going to be spun by one last trick from Mysterio that will lead J. Jonah Jameson on a hunt for the wall crawler known as Spider-Man. And then they reveal that his real name is Peter Parker. And as the very first movie, uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, ended with May saying, what the f? Yep. This movie ended with Spider-Man saying, what the f? <laughs> so I kind of um, wonder if we've got a new trend going here where everyone go. almost shouts out the Queen Mother expletive as the last line of Spider-Man. Now, please tell everyone what happened in the screening of Far From Home when J.K. Simmons came on screen. When I was in the theater, the entire movie 100% played from beginning to end and everyone was pure silent. They absorbed it. They watched it. They didn't mutter a word. They didn't talk to their neighbors and their friends about this scene or that scene. It was total, utter silence. When J.K. Simmons appeared on the screen, there was a round of applause. Like, I thought we got transported to the Academy Awards and somebody was like, like, is Tony Stark actually walking in the theater right now? Why are all the people clapping? And they were just so, so happy to see J.K. Simmons come back. And my wife was actually surprised, too. Like, out of all of that movie, the only thing that got a round of applause was J.K. Simmons. And I'm trying to think. I'm like, well... You know, it's a, a mid credit scene. You know, people, uh, half the theater's already left mm -hmm. because some people just don't stick around for that. They mm -hmm. see the last scene, credits start rolling, they walk out. So that whole being polite thing kind of goes out the window for mid credit scenes. 
And yeah, there was a riotous applause for the return of J.K. Simmons. And I got to say, I joined in wholeheartedly on that, too. I was so thrilled, so thrilled. Yeah, this makes me very happy. I mean, I was thrilled to see him in Justice League. His Commissioner Gordon, for its sure. short amount of screen time, but it's wonderful. It's dead on. And, yeah. But to have J. Jonah Jameson, his version of J. Jonah and Jameson back, just makes me so happy. One final question before we close up here, and forgive me, because this is really an apples and oranges kind of a thing, but we just had Spider-Man into the, the Spider-Verse, you know, within the past six months or so, and given the spectacular look of that and the amazing storytelling, how does Far From Home stack up against that? I got an easy answer for that, but I'm going to take the long way around. Okay. I'm going to compare all the Spidey movies very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. The Andrew Garfield ones, set them to the side and pretend they never happened. Okay. We'll, we'll just start there. Okay. Spider-Man from Sam Raimi was a great movie. Mm -hmm. Spider-Man 2 from Sam Raimi was my all-time favorite superhero movie, bar none. No argument here. It's a great film. Yeah. Alfred Molina was a great Doc Ock, and I really love Doc Ock as, as a villain. So, I mean, again, I was having chocolate and peanut butter all throughout that entire movie experience. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say that as far as Spider-Man Homecoming and Spider-Man Far From Home are neck and neck. Okay. I think I would have to go with Homecoming being just a bit better because I think Keaton as the vulture you knew he was the villain from the get-go. There was no subversion. There was no waiting halfway through the movie for the turn. Mm -hmm. So I think that one's going to go in front. But the king of all spider movies, Into the Spider-Verse, is still my favorite Spider-Man experience. And I'm not the Miles fan. I'm the Peter fan. Mm -hmm. But Miles is a great addition to the Spider-Verse. Gwen was fantastic. My wife absolutely loves all things Gwen Stacy. Mm -hmm. And Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is one of those very, very rare movies that I can watch from any point and be completely enthralled. Scott Pilgrim is one of them. Mm -hmm. And Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, there's not a dead second in those movies. It's all entertainment. It's all good. I love all of it. So yeah, out of all of the Spider-Movies, I got to say Spider-Verse is number one. Homecoming, number two, and then we're going to have to talk about some point, is it Spider-Man 2 with Doc Ock mm -hmm. or Spider-Man Far From Home with Mysterio? Because I really, really, really loved what they did when they got to the proper Mysterio. It was waiting for the f half of the movie to get there that was killing me. And we, gotta, we do have to address one other thing, too. Mm -hmm. If any fans out there are expecting Hydro Man, Sandman, or any of the other elemental men don't mm -hmm. they do reference hydro man by his comic book character name and they even rattle off how he became hydro man according to the comics and that was you know all accurate but if it's all an illusion mm -hmm. then we really weren't dealing with those we weren't dealing with sandman we weren't dealing with hydro man those those are are not actual things that happened so there's a lot of people out there that are big fans of Spidey and his huge rogues gallery. Mm -hmm. And the idea that we might be getting another version of Sandman and also a Hydro Man was a tempting thing. And that just is not the case. So we have to kind of put those guys on a shelf off to the side for a bit. And then there's one other MacGuffin that we have not mentioned at all. Mm -hmm. And it's a big one. The multiverse. Yeah. Yeah. It is not. It is not in any way, shape, or form the multiverse yet. Mm -hmm. 
Now, here was the thing that got me in the theater. It, it, it kind of took me off guard because Mysterio says this is the 616 universe. And I was like, yeah, that jives. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. And he started rattling off a couple other universes, and then we get to the the trick towards the end, which reveals that it's not a multiverse scenario. And it's like, damn, all of the stuff that we thought we could have had, like mm-hmm. a different Tony Stark from a different dimension coming back, or you know, Black Widow from a different dimension, or or meeting a different version of Spider Man, or or whatever, is got to be put on the shelf because that just is not the case in this story. And it was kind of bummed out to find out that we don't have a multiverse yet. You know, we could talk for hours about this. And we haven't haven't yet even talked about Nick Fury and Samuel Jackson or the turn at the very end of the film with with that character. But yeah, okay. so we'll we'll not reveal this, but we will say there are two Mm -hmm. end scenes after the credits. The first one we talked about, which is J.K. Simmons coming back as J. Jonah Jameson. Mm -hmm. There is a longer scene at the end of the the final credits Mm -hmm. that does deal with samuel l jackson's nick fury and even though he's in the movie quite a bit Mm -hmm. they do have one last trick to reveal on his actual whereabouts (laughs) i have to admit and and that the one little delightful last twist there but speaking of delightful aaron you did such a great job reviewing the film tonight and like I appreciate how lightly you treaded, actually, when it came to a number of the story points, a number of the surprises, but at the same time, your enthusiasm, your passion for it, and based on what you've said tonight, I'm going to go buy a ticket if I can ever get out of this house. More to the point, folks, we'd love to hear what you have to say about Spider-Man Far From Home, uh, how you think this stacks up, say, against Into the Spider-Verse or Homecoming. But again, I think you're right. Spider-Man 2, Doc Ock is a tragic character. Just Mm -hmm. surprised the hell out of me. Just love that film. No, I was very happy to have Mysterio finally after years of craving it. And I think the look of the suit, the costume that they put him in, and there's a thing about his bowl head where mm-hmm. everyone's like, that looks, looks so stupid. But they end up having kind of a reason why he's got a bowl head. Mm-hmm. And when you put in all the special effects wizardry and all that stuff, it all makes sense. It's all perfect. It's just that I wish I didn't have to wait an hour for the the really, really good stuff. I mean, it was good up until that point, but I knew that there was more meat on the bone and you're giving me appetizers and I'm hungry for a full dinner. Let's get to it. That was kind of my feeling. So I don't want anyone to think that I'm specifically down on the movie again it's more my wants versus the reality of what they're going to give me but i think anyone that's not even familiar with the mcu can walk into this theater have a great time without breaking it apart like a comic book geek and oh this isn't quite the way that was and this and that like i do so i I really do think it, it is a good good movie marvel hasn't had a bad run at bat yet It's just that, you know, when you get to 20 films, some are going to end up not always, you know, the new one isn't always landing on top. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they land a little bit in the middle. And that is okay, considering their track record of good, great, and best. I'm okay that the middle is great. So it's a good time. No, no, I agree. I agree. Well, thanks again uh, for doing such a great job with with the review tonight. And I guess that's going to do it for this week's Marvelous Disney. By the way, we have a bunch of other podcasts here at the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. We, of course, have Disney Dish with Len Testa. We have Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse. We have Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor. 
We have the I Want That with Michelle Valladolid, which we will get out the door eventually, folks. It's just those 6,000 new products in uh, Galaxy's Edge that need reviewing. And, and while we're talking about Star Wars and Lucasfilm stuff, Dan Z and I are due to do a brand new looking at Lucasfilm very soon. So we'll get that posted as well. Please head over to iTunes and rate and recommend the show. You can head over to Bandcamp and subscribe to the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network that helps keep the lights on and we're working on some Bandcamp exclusive shows. Thanks for listening and we'll talk again soon. More Marvelous Disney will be coming soon. In the meantime, check out one of the other great shows found only on the Jim Hill Media Network.